as I sat down to try and prepare a Christmas message and to think about what I'd like to talk about on Christmas, I, I, I had to look back on some of the things that I talked about and look back at some of my old files on Christmas messages. And, and it's just kind of becomes a, a real challenging task. I, I, I sat down and I thought, I thought, how does, how does a pastor like Pastor Baker come up with 29 years of unique Christmas messages that focus on this story in the Bible and, and come up. And I, I was just thinking, I was thinking, man, we have some traditions. A few years ago, there, I had a student by the name of David. And you always have, have that one kid in school, that one boy who has a thousand times more energy than the rest of the boys at school. You, you know what I mean? And he runs around and, and, and you love that energy and stuff. But boy, he's also the boy that like pulls the ponytails of the girl's hair in front of him. And, and he's shooting spit wads across the, you, you know, and some of you guys are going, that was, that was me in school. Um, but I, I remember one Christmas year, David brought in mistletoe. And he was chasing the girls around with a mistletoe. And I had to take the mistletoe away from David. You can't. I'm sorry. I don't want to have to call every mother of all the 13 year old girls and tell them why David was kissing them. And, and so he wanted to hang it in his locker and he wanted to chase the girls around. And, and, and grandma's down here saying, Hannah, was that one of the, are you, was David trying to kiss you? And, no, David was a little bit younger than Hannah, but um, but there's always that one, and I, we have these conversations and, and these traditions. And so I sat and I, I looked and, and I was trying to come up with something. And it just kind of came to me. When shepherds meet angels, and I began to put together a little, some things to talk about. And I went to go visit Bob and Darlene's parents and I went to Bob's mother's room and she's got a bunch of nativity scenes and apparently she could have had a lot more and a lot and yeah, Darlene's going yeah a lot. but she explained she she told me what she liked about some of them she told me about this one that had taken Mary and Joseph out and the shepherds out and had just put in all the barnyard animals around it. And she showed me one and the, it was explaining to me the intricate details of it. And I just thought, wow, this is pretty neat. And then I went down to Darlene's dad's room and was talking to him. And the first thing he started talking about was the nativity scene that his daughter brought to put there. I was, I was wondering, I thought maybe it's one of Martha's that no, it wasn't one of Martha's. Okay, but I was wondering, and that was left over. But he he was talking to me about it too, and I was looking at, thinking and pondering, and thinking about the shepherds, and I came up with this idea for for this morning when shepherds meet angels, and we have a lot of a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts about that. Maybe based on tradition, maybe based on what we've heard in the word of God. And, and I looked and I said, for this morning, I have nothing 
nothing that I can share with you that is going to be something you probably haven't heard before. Nothing that's, but I just thought it's good for us each year to stop and reflect and look at a story we know and we love and to just ponder and kind of try and place ourselves there. And I'm not one that when I put together an outline, I don't worry about um, alliteration or uh, putting together three points in a poem. That's just not my style. But as I was putting it together this morning and thinking about the, the topic, it just started coming to me. This idea and putting it together, and I only had to stretch it like once to get the idea of the word light. Because Jesus Christ came to be the light of the world. And so we're going to take, I've got you in John chapter 1, don't leave there. But we're going to look back in Luke chapter 2. And when we do, we're going, to, we're going to look at Jesus Christ as the light of the world. In the encounter, when shepherds meet angels. But in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him... Nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, and that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, To those who believe on his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I spoke about this a few months ago, and I I said, as we look at the the four Gospels, we see Jesus Christ in four different ways. We see him as the king of kings, the king of the Jews. In Matthew, in Mark, we see him as the humble servant. In Luke, we see him as the perfect man. And in John, we see him as the divine son of God. In each one of those books, and I think the way they portray the incarnation of Christ really fits each one of those themes. In Matthew, we see the the birth of Jesus Christ. And the way it's presented, presents him as the king of kings, as the king of the Jews. In Mark, you find no mention of Jesus' birth at all. And I've always suggested nobody nobody cares about the birth of a humble servant. They care about the birth of a king. And they don't care about the birth of a humble servant. 
In Luke, you see the, the detailed version of the birth of Jesus Christ, the perfect man. And we see the God who would become a man. 100% God and 100% man. And it focuses a lot on his humanity. And that's why that story relates to us a lot around this time of year. And then in this story, in, in the Gospel of John, I've always said we, we have the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Christ, detailed in John chapter 1. And it's really the divinity of Christ. He, he's been with God since the beginning. He's the creator. He brings light to the dark world. And so in this passage of Scripture, it really focuses on that Christ child who was God. In John chapter 5, let's look in John chapter, not 5, John chapter 9 in verse 5. In John chapter 9 in verse 5, Jesus is talking to a man, to his disciples about a man that had been born blind. And it's in the midst of this particular story, one of the seven signs that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus says in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John really emphasized that theme. And if we turn in 1 John, over our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, in verse 1, we also see that truth to be told. It says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In 1 John, we, see, we read three things that God is. God is light, God is love, and God is life. In the book of 1 John. And here we see that, yes, he's light. And so when Jesus Christ came to this earth, when he was born of the virgin 2,000 years ago, we had the light that would come, that would shine in the darkness. Now, let's look at Luke chapter 2. Let's park there for quite a while. Luke chapter 2. Let's look at Jesus Christ, the light. Now, what I want you to do, the first thing that I'd, I'd like you to do is forget for a moment Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. I'd like you to put that out of your mind. And, and we know the story about Mary and Joseph taking the trip down to Bethlehem because there, there is a census going on and there being no room in the end. And, and I just want us to, I know it's really hard because we talk about it every year, but I want us to put that out of our mind. For a minute, because what I want us to do today is to put ourselves in the place of the shepherds. So I'd like you all to pretend that you're a shepherd. And, and I don't want to, like we had it last week out in the gymnasium. We had our Christmas program and you had all those little boys that dressed up as shepherds. I don't want you to picture the, the little shepherd child with the little rags. I want you to pretend that you are actually a shepherd. If you're a shepherd, you have no thought, no idea 
about what is going on in that manger in Bethlehem when you get to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. You're just living your normal life. And so, we've been so saturated with Christmas that we have a hard time putting away Luke chapter 2, verses 1, 7. That's not a bad thing, but I'd like us to get the perspective of the shepherds. And these shepherds were just, they're just living their normal lives. Let's look at verse 8. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. They were living their normal lives. And I think that's the message that they were trying to get across here. And over the years, uh, people have tried to speculate what's going on. Um, I've even got notes in my Bible about the shepherds and, and their connection to Migdal Eater, the tower where the flock uh, the flocks were prepared for the Passover lambs. And I have references for that, and we've talked a lot about that. And I think that that might have some good biblical connection, but that's not my focus tonight. My focus is the fact that these guys were just going about normal life when God showed up and did something amazing in their lives. And sometimes that's the way God gets a hold of us. Sometimes we're just living our normal day to day lives, and one day God says, Hey, I'm going to get involved in your life. Now we know that this says that they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And so sometimes we think, okay, maybe Jesus Christ was born at night. Well, if we look down here a little bit further, it says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So I was looking up, and as I was doing some research and just reading, I find one place that says, look, it says that the shepherds were in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and the angels showed up when Christ was born. Must have been at night. I don't necessarily read that there. Maybe. Then I read someplace else where somebody said, oh, it says right there, he was born to you this day. Okay. Maybe he was born during the day. Often, do we just use the word day to talk about a 24-hour period? Um, I don't think that's important. I, I even read one person, and, and I'm just saying, we talk about traditions and things and things we read in the Bible. I just want us to put ourselves in the shepherd's seat today. I'm going to read one person who said, I think that Christ, I, I did, I really read this. I think that Christ must have been born at night because the majority of babies are born at night. As a matter of fact, I have four children, and all my four children are born at night. So, so I think Christ was probably born at nighttime. I said, because your four kids were, all, four, all three of mine were born during the day. The sun was shining. And so I, 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 I look and I put right down next to that, there's this idea of hasty generalization. And I think when we take a look at the Bible and the Christmas story, we might jump to conclusions sometimes. I just want to focus on the fact that these guys were on the job. They were working. They were out working in the field. Life was normal. And then what does it say? If we read verse 9, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, 
And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Me too. Uh, I put immediate fear. So the first one, we had living shepherds. They were just out living their normal life. And immediately, something happened. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were immediately afraid. Sometimes does God use those type of situations to get our attention? We're living a normal life, and something happens, and pow! Immediately our life is changing. God says, I got your attention. That's what happened to these guys. They were, And then immediately they were afraid. So I looked at other places in the Bible where God had done these types of things. As a matter of fact, I read in Exodus chapter 3. I don't, I don't know that we need to go there. You actually, you can if you want to. You don't have to. But Moses in the burning bush. I read that because I thought, that's a situation similar to what the shepherds went through. Moses is out working, normal life. And all of a sudden he looks over there and he sees this bush burning. He says, what's that bush burning? I'm going to go look at that. I think, you know, I might have done the same thing. But Moses walks up to the bush burning. And the, the Lord speaks to him out of the burning bush. And Moses just responds back. And, and I found that very, very strange and very odd. It's, it doesn't say that Moses, maybe he was, but the Bible just doesn't, like I'm not going to try to read too much into it, but reading it, I don't see the immediate fear. I think if a bush started talking to me, I'd probably run away. But God was getting it on his heart. And he had a job for Moses to do. And God wanted to get Moses' attention. So I don't know about you, but if I was living my normal life and I put myself in those shepherd's shoes and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appeared to me, I got to admit, I'd have immediate fear like them. Maybe you'd be like Moses and you would have just started talking back to that. I think that there are some people in this church who probably would. If an angel just showed up to them and started talking to them, they'd just start talking back. Me, I'd be scared. I'd be terrified. I'd be like Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, what happens is, is Belteshazzar, tongue-tied, has taken the items from the temple of God and is abusing them. And all of a sudden, a hand starts writing on the wall. And I'm going to look, and I'm going to read to you from Daniel chapter 5. You can look with me if you'd like. But in Daniel chapter 5, in verses 5 and 6, it says, In the same hour, the fingers of a man appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. And so, so it says there, you know, as, as that hand starts writing on the wall, his knees were knocking, and, and he was scared almost to death. If I, you know, as you look at that, it says that all of a sudden the, the motion just came over him. And I have to think if I was 
working out in the field at night one time, and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord showed up in front of me, I probably would have been terrified, just like those shepherds. I know uh, in our house, my son and his mother, they have this thing going on back and forth between them. Whenever it's time to go, like leave church here or get home at night, they always try to hide on each other and jump out from each other behind the wall and scare each other. Sometimes Silas gets mom. I think maybe once mom got Silas, but she tries. And, and I got to think that I would have been afraid too if I'd put myself in that situation. It says there in Luke chapter 2, what we read, an angel of the Lord should, stood before them. And then I was reading, and this is something that I really spent a lot of time thinking about. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And I thought to myself, boy, I've read this. I've read this carefully. But I, I don't really know if I, I'm looking at this right. And I pondered it and I've thought about it. And I've read it there and it says, and an angel of the Lord stood before them. We think that, I mean, I'm assuming grammatically that the them means the shepherds. And so then it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The angel of the Lord is singular. And the shepherds are plural. And everything, the them goes should go back to the shepherds. The glory of the Lord that's shining around them is shining around the shepherds. I guess in my mind, I've always pictured it being the angel. But if I read that carefully, the glory of the Lord is shining around the shepherds. I think I'm right on that. And I go, wow, that's just, and these guys are terrified. And all this stuff is going on. In a moment, everything went from being natural and normal to supernatural. Instead of it being natural, Moment. This is a supernatural moment for them, not normal. And so we have these shepherds who are living, and then they go into a moment of immediate fear. The next thing I came up with was the word, the glory was identified. The glory was identified. And in Luke chapter 2, it says in verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. And so the, the angel identifies himself, and, and the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. That's, that's not the purpose here. And how many times in the Gospels does Jesus do something amazing? And he has to remind, remind whoever he's talking to, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. I'm here to do great and amazing things in your life. In 1 John chapter 4, like I said, 1 John talks about how God is God is light, God is love, and God is life. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, it says that perfect love casts out fear. And what greater love can we think about than God Sending his son, one with the father, 
down to this earth to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. To pay the atonement that needed to be made for your sin and for my sin. In Luke chapter 2, he also gives his message. He says, he says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. I have said this before, and I'll say it again. I usually don't have the news on too much in my house. I'll look at the news probably every day, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. Because the news so often depresses me. It makes me sad, and it seems like anything that's newsworthy is all bad news. You want to get yourself on the news, do something terrible. But let's, let's face it, when Jesus Christ came, he brought good news. I wish that the story of Jesus Christ would make the national news every single night. This world would be a different place. If we could just get an hour of the great things that God has done across the world. We almost need like a, a group to just say, hey, we're going to have a news channel. And on this news channel, we're not going to talk about the depressing things of this world. We're not going to keep the focus and, and our time talking about the things that are bad. We're going to talk about the great things that God is doing around the world. Boy, that would change the world in a moment, wouldn't it? Just like the story of Jesus Christ has changed this world. It's changed the lives of billions of people for the last 2,000 years. Lives have been transformed. People have been changed. Good and honorable things have been done all across the world. That baby was born in Bethlehem. That authenticated the fact that this story was true. Just one of the many, many fingerprints that God placed in this world to say, this is my son. The son who will die for your sins. God prophesied it. Hundreds of years later, it happened and it was fulfilled just the way he promised that it was happening. A Savior is born. The Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And you will find that babe, the Savior, lying in a manger. And we talk about this each year. He didn't come to the king's palace. He wasn't born to a dignitary or famous person. He came to be born in a manger. Lowly, meek, mild. And in Isaiah chapter 53, that's another one of those things that was promised. In Isaiah 53, one of the passages that prophesied the birth of this Christ Jesus Christ says, it says there, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should des desire him. goes on to say, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And, he, and we hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. He came to this earth, humbled himself, and was born in the simplest of ways to show, to show us that he was God's perfect gift from heaven, who humbled himself. I, I just, I can't get past Christmas time without thinking about one of my favorite passages of Scripture. In Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 it says, 
let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Our Savior humbled himself. And we're, so we're continuing down this journey of Jesus Christ, the light. We had these shepherds living their normal lives. We had immediate fear when the angels showed up. And then we had the glory identified. And then right after that, we had the heavenly host joining them. And so back in Luke chapter 2, in the story that we all know and love, it says these words. And suddenly, in verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so as we have this heavenly host, their message is glory to God in the highest. And I guess... As we look at that and, and we picture that, angels are God's messengers. They have a mess, they send God's message to us. They give us the news that God would have us to, to know. And in this particular place, they're going to announce the birth of the Savior. On Sunday night, on Wednesday nights, we've been looking at the names of God. We've been looking at the Psalms. And in both of those, those studies that we've been doing, we've come to this phrase over and over again. So if you've been here on Sunday nights, you've heard on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting and Bible study, you've heard this phrase, Lord Sabaoth. He is the Lord God of hosts. And one of my favorite, favorite Psalms is Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and he has established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you heavens, and lift up your gates, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. This is the savior. When we picture this, when they say glory to God in the highest, that's heavenly hosts. He's been their Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is the commander of these this heavenly host that was there that day. 
And now they are praising him who's come as this Christ child and lying in a manger. How, how awesome is that? And I said, picture yourself as an angel, as a shepherd, living your normal life, and immediately there's fear. And then you start to get an explanation, and you're told, don't be afraid. And now all of a sudden, here's this heavenly host. For these shepherds, it's not normal. And they are experiencing something that is on earth is supernatural. It's not normal. It's amazing. It's wonderful. I would have loved to have been there. But think about it from the angel's perspective. When they show up and they proclaim God's glory, according to what I read in places like Psalm 24, it might have been supernatural for these angels. It might have been the most amazing thing. For the, for the angels, this is normal everyday life. The shepherds are going, whoa, wow. And the angels are like, this is what we do. And I'd like you to think about that, Christian. Today, we're living our normal lives. In our normal lives, we go to work. We give praise to God. We, we read His word. We talk to Him. We pray to Him. But one day, what the shepherds did, what the angels did, what the angels did that day, that'll be natural to us. Just like it was natural to the angels. And the heavenly hosts giving praise and glory to God, that's going to be awesome. And their message was, on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And I put something in here, and, and we know We've heard this phrase before. It's definitely not unique with me. But I think it's something we need to remember every Christmas time. If you know him, you know peace. And if you don't have him, you don't have peace. And I see a lot of you guys in this room, you know that. I see a lot of people say, that's so true. That's your life. The closer you are to the Savior, the more peace you know. And without him, walking away from peace. Then let's look at, let's continue to look at. I, I put in a H is my fourth letter in the word light. I had to put in a second H. So I put fourth letter part B. Because then they go to see the humble Christ child. And they went with haste to see baby Jesus. They ran and they, they had to get there as fast as they could. And anybody here ever, I, I avoid the Thanksgiving Black Friday thing at all. Um, I think Thanksgiving people, families ought to be home with their family, spending family time together. Um, but I can remember me and my son running down to Walmart when Silas was like 10 or something. And we went to Black Friday to get a TV. And people were just like running. And my son doesn't like that kind of thing. He's like, Dad, this is this is crazy. I never want to do something like this again. He just hates the crowds and the rushing in and out and everything. And I, I got to agree with him. It's just too much of a chaotic time. But look at, look at this. These guys were rushing, running to go see this Christ child. And they get there and it's just... Them, Mary and Joseph, and that baby. So peaceful. 
We need to be running, making haste to seeing the Christ child. Forget the hustle and the bustle for a time. Someone wrote to me this week. They said, I, I, don't, I don't know what Christ would think about how busy we've made this time. When we're supposed to be keeping our focus on him. And I encourage you. Some of you ladies that are going to be Martha's. And what I mean by that is I mean you're going to be working in the kitchen, bustling around, making sure there's Christmas cookies and meals prepared and all the presents are wrapped. Stop. Take time. Sit down. Enjoy. Curl up next to your grandkids, your kids, your husband. Get the Christmas story out. Just spend some time with the Savior. Can you do that? Just pause. Somebody will get the work done. Just take some time. The last thing in the light is the testimony of the shepherds. They made their story known. All who heard it marveled at them. And today I think we need to do the same thing. We need to take a look at their story. We just need to go, wow. What they experienced. Just, just put yourself in their shoes. There's the Messiah. The angels have announced it. And just think about how wonderful it is that Christ would come and he would give his life for us so that we could live in him with him forever. We need to talk about this with other people. Like I, like I just said, grab those kids, wrap them up and say, Hey, I want to read to you the Christmas story. I'd just like to spend some time with you. And these guys were glorifying and praising God. We need to do that too. We need to look at the, the, the five things that Jesus Christ is the light. First, we need to take a break from living our normal lives. The second thing is they were they God got out of their attention with immediate fear. But God's perfect love casts off that fear. Third, the message was glory to God in the highest. We need to give God the glory. Because he was the humble Christ that was born for us. And our testimony needs to be the fact that that's true. So if Jesus is the light of the world, we, we're going to put ourselves in the shepherd's place. We need to picture things the way they did. Let's give God the glory this year. Let's take the time, pause, and reflect on the Savior. Okay? Let's pray this morning. Dearly Father, we thank you and we praise you for being our great and awesome Savior. I pray that you might help us to just take a moment and reflect on your goodness and the gift of your Son.
And let's, like these shepherds, marvel at what you have done. And give testimony of the great things that you have done. Help us to direct our thoughts and our time this, this week to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.